I have a very dramatic announcement. So anyone with a weak heart should leave now. Unreal. Revolution. Revolution. Uncensored. Revolution. Revolution. Unfiltered. Unchanged. Unadulterated. Unbelievable. Cliffcentral.com. Wow, what an awesome, what a joy it is after all these weeks and weeks away in Australia, uh, being back with my dear friends here on Cliff Central. I'm just so excited to be back, to be back with Duncan who's operating the sound today and to have met all the friends here in the studio and outside the studio. It's just such a good feeling. You know one can literally travel the world. But there's only one place, and that place is called home. You are listening to Professor David Block, and I have the privilege, joy, and honor of leading you through the next one hour on this uh, live global streaming. I just think it's such an innovative idea that I, one could be in Australia and streaming live, or you can be in Dubai or Chicago. What an awesome uh, leap. Of technology, uh, this really is. If you wish to reach me in studio today, there are many different methods to do so. Let's start with our favorite one. The favorite methodology of people reaching me, Professor David Block on studio, in studio is Cliff Central. On Facebook, likewise, Cliff Central. The Twitter handle is at cliffcentral.com, at cliffcentral.com. And for those who still prefer the traditional telephone links, who feel perhaps a little more secure, uh, dialing that number, the number to dial is 0861-555-189. That's 0861-555-189. A very special thanks, too, to everyone who stood in for me during my um, visit to... Um, Australia. I've literally just touched down, I think just uh, a day or so ago, and uh, I was in Australia, and then I was in the Cape uh, speaking there to some 3,000 people. Now, as I travel the world, there are many, many topics, many, many themes which come to mind. But I think one of the greatest themes which definitely comes to mind is simply the uh, the vastness uh, the immensity of the universe. Does that ever strike you, um, Duncan, as a real problem in today's world? It's just the incredible size of it all. Where do you and I fit in to the grand scheme of things? You know, Professor, I came to the conclusion that uh, it's all unknowable. That's okay. how vast it is. We could never okay. understand it. It's okay. vastness. How, do, how does it make you feel, though, inside when you look up at, say, just the Milky Way and you see all those twinkling jewels? Does it make you feel that you that there is a purpose for which you are born, Duncan? Or do you just feel that life is happening at such a fast speed today as it is in Australia that it's almost passing us by? 
Uh, when I look up in, in the stars, Professor, I, yes. actually, I feel special, you know. Oh, that's I, awesome. I feel privileged that's awesome. to be alive and to be a part of this yes. whole experience that yes. we know as to be life. Yes, I think that's just awesome. Uh, you know, Duncan feeling really special, uh, looking up at the night sky. So, where was I? I have been at, uh, you know, the Mount Stromlo Observatory in, um, Australia, I've been up to Kuna Barabran. Let me just try and fill you in because so few people really understand what actually happens and how we observe today. Many people might think that I use a telescope uh, sitting uh, near an eyepiece or next to an eyepiece or looking through an eyepiece and seeing the images unfold um, in front of my eyes. But nothing could be further from the truth. First of all, I work at observatories, not at planetariums. Now, what is the difference between a, an observatory and a planetarium? Well, it's very simply put as this. If it's raining, you can still see the stars at a planetarium. Why? Because a planetarium is not a live experience of looking at the stars, for example, the stars of our Milky Way galaxy, live. With uh, the Zeiss projectors at Planetaria, for example, we project images of the night sky onto a dome, onto a concrete dome, and then we can, you know, we can simulate what that's exactly what we do, is we can simulate the glories and feast upon the splendors of the night sky uh, using the planetaria in the daytime. So, so often people say to me, Professor, you know, can I come to the planetarium and, you know, look and gaze at the stars tonight? Well, that question needs a little bit of relearning or rethinking because the planetarium is a show. It's a production. It's not an experience under the live night sky. So that's the first point is I was not traveling to visit some of the world's great planetaria. And, of course, there are multitudes of planetaria around the world. Our own one at the University of the Witwatersrand here in Johannesburg. Very famous ones, the Haydn Planetarium, New York and Chicago, and, indeed, around the, gro the globe. And interestingly enough, apparently in Australia there's somebody called Fred Watson, and he does what I do here in South Africa. So wherever I went, Duncan, they introduced me as Australia's Fred Watson. So I thought, that, I thought that was a rather cool and neat. But the interesting thing today is we use telescopes that are in very remote locales. For example, the locale which um, I visited, the uh, Anglo-Australian telescope, is located nine hours by car uh, north of Sydney, and it's a very long drive, nine hours, so it's 18 hours a round trip, and it's an incredible visit to undertake. And uh, I had the great privilege of driving up uh, with Professor with Professor Kenneth Freeman. Now, Professor Kenneth Freeman is one of the greatest astronomers of all time. He's the father of dark matter. And I'll get on to that in a moment. So, we were chilling, driving up, 
But the interesting thing about astronomy today is that you don't even need to be at the telescope anymore. Why? Well, we have electronic cameras such as CCD arrays, charged coupled devices, and these cameras... Uh, take the place, if you like, of our eyes. They're far more sensitive than our eyes. They can integrate for many minutes or hours or whatever you want them to do. You can set the integration times moment by moment. And so astronomers don't even need to be at their telescopes anymore. So what do astronomers do? Well, let me give you perhaps an analogy which will help in this regard. It is now possible for a doctor, for example, in City A to conduct an operation, say, in remote Africa, provided there is the technology they can use their hands here to manipulate robotic arms elsewhere in the world. And that's exactly what astronomers do these days, is they would sit in a studio like I'm sitting here now, and they'd look at a screen, and up would pop a star, for example, or a galaxy, which they wish to study, And it's quite amazing, you know, Duncan. We simply gaze at our screen. We have remote controls to guide the telescope and to set the telescope and so forth. But the interesting thing is this. We can actually uh, observe uh, from Sydney, from the city of Sydney, with all its bright lights, we can steer the telescope uh, in Coonabarabran, which is nine hours away. One can steer it remotely, and you can observe remotely. And that's by by that I mean you can almost be in your house. You can actually almost be sitting in your house, but most certainly in your office. And you can, you know, use your computer uh, and you can manipulate the positioning of the telescope. Uh, you can commence uh, photographing an object by means of not photographic film anymore, but these special cameras such as these charged coupled devices. And so... When I arrived in Australia, Professor Freeman was observing. So, you know, people would think, well, Professor Freeman is therefore nine hours up north using the telescope uh, live. Well, he was using the telescope live. But the interesting thing is... It was a, it's, it, it's not quite a kind of streaming, but in a sense it's a kind of streaming. It's a streaming in of data remotely. So just like uh, Gareth Cliff took the giant leap of, instead of radio, global streaming live, what there is is a, is a streaming of data. So, for example, when I say to you, we are going to use this telescope tonight, it doesn't mean that we are physically going to travel, for example, to Hawaii, to the Mauna Kea observatories, to observe. And, of course, in Hawaii right now, as I speak, it is 16 minutes past the hour of 2 in the morning. It's 2.16 a.m. in Hawaii. So, as I'm talking to you, the telescopes there are operative and all fully so. But if you were to drive up to these great observatories, such as the ones I've been a guest at, the Mauna Kea Observatory in Hawaii or the uh, Mount Stromlo Observatories in Australia, uh, it's a totally different regime 
totally different. Uh, for a start, the telescopes might have no astronomers inside the buildings at all. None. There'd be no, there might be one or two engineers, uh, per building, per telescope to actually ensure that all is up and running. But I just found that so fascinating in Australia is that here you can actually sit at your computer, at your desk, at your office. You don't need to fly anywhere. You observe remotely. And it's just like perhaps an autopilot in a sense, synthesizer. It's just like sitting and uh, being in charge of the plane, but remotely so. I was privileged. I've undertaken many flights recently, of course. But I uh, was privileged recently to be invited by a very dear friend of mine by name Gareth Stead. And Gareth Stead invited me to come and address his jewels, his audience, his flock, his folk in Cape Town. And they said to us as we were flying in, we are going to be landing on autopilot, and I thought, well, this is neat, and they said, well, we don't always uh, or often use autopilot to land, uh, you know, the plane, but today it'll be done hands off, and there it was, and the plane landed beautifully, and I could meet uh, Gareth and Wendy Stead, and I could meet the incredible family, I was so touched that as we sat around the table, there they were reading. It's just so rare to see people reading uh, these days. But the point I'm getting to is it's possible to, lay, to land a plane without uh, human intervention or actually being there, as it were. And so it is with telescopes. And here is a lovely question from Jerome, or a thought. Prof, I, together with friends, colleagues, are using apps such as Stellarium to watch the past and future solar, lunar eclipses, constellations. Such amazing apps on offer for free these days. Well, Jerome, that is just such a glorious thought. Uh, that is just spot on. That's right at the cutting edge. I want to tell you that that's exactly true. Um, I have been privy to, you uh, you know, seeing these apps in motion working. And yes, right now I could hold up my phone with one of these apps at the daytime sky. And it might show me, Jerome, that there is Mars or there is Jupiter or there is Saturn. Of course, you can't see it with a naked eye because it is daytime. But you can position using these apps. You can indeed uh, see the sky at any time of day and of night. Isn't that incredible to think that here I was in remote locales and you could actually, it's true. Uh, you're reminding me of a very important point. One can actually just hold up your your mobile phone with free apps such as Stellarium and uh, not only gaze at the awesomeness of the night sky, but you can actually position yourself. And I think that's what, what I'm thinking about in the cockpit again. This autopilot is that, you know, it was just so incredibly well programmed that there I could be in this aircraft um, you know, and then be hosted by Gareth Stead at his people in one city. And, you know, it was just so awesome and it was all just done remotely as it were. And I think you've brought up, you know, I'd like to encourage all my listeners today on looking up with David Block to download apps such as Stellarium. And uh, you are quite right. Not only do these apps allow you to see the sky for free by day, or by night, 
But it takes a, a lot of the load off you Because you know in days gone by when I grew up Duncan, I had to remember the orientations of the sky I had to remember where I was And I had to know Well, this position led me to this locale And this locale would lead me to this galaxy and so forth But uh, no more These apps such as um, Stellarium are absolutely uh, spot on They are spot on They are amazing, as you say, Jerome And they are free now, here is another one, uh, another uh, thought, and I just want to read this. It says, Cliff Central hasn't been the same without the starry galaxy man. You were sorely missed. Well, uh, inappropriate, as I see your name is on the stream here. Well, I haven't been the same without you, inappropriate. I have missed you. I can honestly say that while I've been privy to using and meeting, you know, some of the great minds of the age and working with, you know, Professor Kenneth Freeman, one of the greatest minds, one of the greatest living scientists alive today, uh, I was... In fact, sorely missing uh, you. And every Tuesday, I would think that, you know, if I were back home, what would I be doing now? Well, I would be talking to precious jewels such as Inappropriate and Jerome and Tandy and others. And uh, I see there's even one, uh, Pascal. Oh, what a lovely uh, name that is, named after, I guess, Blaise Pascal. But there we are. So back to uh, just the excitement. I hope you can hear it in my voices. In my voice, I am just so excited to be back here at Cliff Central to be sharing with you the awesomeness of cutting it. To, uh, cutting-edge technology, not only by means of uh, global streaming, but by means of the global streaming of data. And so, back to us using telescopes, you would find that on many of my visits to these observatories, we never go to the telescope anymore. We observe remotely, and I think you understand now how we do this. And then, of course, the data does get streamed in uh, via computer, and the image builds up on our screen. And eventually you might, for example, see an image of the Andromeda Spiral Galaxy or the Triangulum Spiral Galaxy or so forth, uh, you know, just in real time. And I think that's just so awesome. It takes us to the cutting edge of how astronomers do things these days. You know, how do we actually do it? How do we actually gaze in the case of the uh, Andromeda Spiral Galaxy? How do we gaze? Two million years back into time Well it's all done not, No longer by means of the antiquated methodology Of using the eye And you know gazing through the eyepiece And those were awesome days I was just sharing at um, Gareth Stead's church His people that uh, you know I remember uh, at uh, in 1969 I got up one morning and I had a look visually with my eye at the planet Saturn, and it was just so awesome, uh, so beautiful. I see on screen is appearing live streaming from the ISS, the International uh, Space Station. And, you know, 
it just says here in the little caption, live video, live video from the International Space Station, including views of the uh, Earth, the crew on duty, what they are doing. And another one, NASA, live streaming now. So that's really incredible. I mean, here's the International Space Station, and it's busy orbiting the earth and you and i can actually just stream in globally uh, globally all of us can do this and you know see what the crew is seeing as if we were there and i am just watching now live on an hd feed uh the earth viewing experiment on Ustream, and it's live and it's you know prefixed iss international space station live hd earth viewing and before me right here in cliffcentral.com uh, you are you are watching the swirling turbulent clouds i mean it's just awesome it takes my breath away as i see the turbulence i think of the theory of uh turbulence duncan it's called kolmogorov turbulence where it, with a k to the five thirds power law as palisa would remember not k to the four thirds but k to the five thirds and so so, yes, I mean, here we can stream live. We can watch the uh, Earth from space live. Just now in front of me, I see the sun setting over some parts of the Earth. And again, it's done live. So that's exactly, this is a beautiful way in which we observe the skies today is it's all done by means, it's all done electronically, not by means of the eye. And we can literally, as I just did a minute ago, Duncan and I were literally, we're sitting in the International Space Station, weren't we? In a very, very real sense. What does it make you feel like? Um, just looking at these HD feeds, Duncan. I mean, why, how do you feel to think that you don't have to no longer be there and see a sunset from space? Honestly, Professor, I feel like anything is impossible. And uh, I just want to put a question to you, Professor. How long till South Africa specifically sends a man to the moon or just out of space from South Africa? Yes, well, I think that's a very interesting question. And, of course, we do remember that Mark Shuttleworth uh, did do this, being South African. I think his budget was slightly bigger than yours, Duncan, or mine. Uh, his budget, uh, I think, if I remember correctly, it was... 220 million. Now, I'm not sure if it was dollars or rands. I think it may have been 220 million rands. Duncan's just checking up for me. But I know it wasn't just a train ride to, um, you know, to Cape Town. And it was slightly sm uh, more uh, addressing Gareth Stead than it was uh, staying at Everstal, I would have supposed, is that that was a 220 million budget. But it may have been 220 million rand. Uh, I can't remember if it was rand or dollars, but the number 220 million certainly pops up. And so in Australia, I had the unique privilege of Rand. spending time, and Duncan has confirmed it. I was correct. It was 220 million rand um, that Mark Shuttleworth spent on going up into space. So, but there again, it was just a ride to the International Space Station and back. That's not going to the moon. That's simply a little ride in space around the Earth. If you want to go to moon, it's another story. And I just don't know. I think that. 
Uh, Duncan, we need to shift our focus uh, from terrestrial matters at times and have a broader perspective. For example, I understand many of our statues are in the poo at the moment. Uh, I've been overseas, so I didn't know this, but I've come back, Duncan. And is that correct that many statues are actually in the poo? That is absolutely correct, Professor. Okay. So uh, apparently the statues are in the poo while I'm busy studying the birth and death of the stars and of galaxies. And Asiya gives me a warm smile as he's about to depart at this um, unusual hour of 2.29.15, uh, which is uh, obviously a job I must aspire to. I would also like to clock off at 2.29.15 instead of clocking off at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. Uh, in the evening or 4 a.m. And so forth But a lovely thought here Let's just read it It's coming up live From Eber I hope I've got your name Pronounced correctly Eber Y-B-E-E-R Or Eber You tell me please On your next um, WeChat If it's uh, Eber Or Eber But um, he says And let me just read this Missed you Prof Block Glad to look up at the skies again Well that's just so awesome Thank you so much Eba for that You know instead of looking at the poo below And I understand we need to poo But um, instead of looking at the poo below I look up And I'm so glad that you missed me I'm glad I feel that I've just missed you You know when I walked into studio And Jono gave me a cup of coffee And it was just It's still an awesome cup of coffee it's decreasing in temperature as it should with its, you know, with, by well-known mathematical laws and so forth. And I could give you the equations online, but I'll share you the pain of doing so and, you know, being hugged by people and so forth. I truly did miss you too, Aber, and I just trust that you will enjoy in the weeks and months to come again the awesomeness of looking up. You are listening to Professor David Block. Uh, we are looking up together into the awesomeness of space and of cosmic time. But how about some music? Well, I am so excited to be back here in South Africa. You are listening to David Block, Professor David Block. Uh, I occupy uh, the position of a professor of um, computational and applied mathematics here at the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg. And that uh, leads me on to a very funny little story. People could not pronounce that name, Duncan. For some reason or another, they couldn't pronounce Witwatersrand. So they would say, White Waters Rand. <laughs> and so it was quite funny, actually. Nobody could get it right. And then they'd stumble and say, Wit White Waters Rand. Rand. And they never got this right. And it shows you, isn't it? Each country has their own lingo. We understand Rant means Reef and Vit is white and Water is water, but to them Water might mean the US dollar. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Well, the interesting thing is you've uh, up on the screen in front of me, and that's why I love working here too. Is just you know just the awesomeness of the instantaneousness of the moment is where I worked. So if you Google Mount Stromlo Observatory, up will come a page. 
with the uh, buildings where I worked. So what you do is you go to www.google.com and then just Google Mount Stromlo Observatory. So let's just go slowly. That's Mount for mountain, if you like, M-O-U-N-T. So that's Mount. And then Stromlo is S for sugar, T for Tommy, R for Robert, O, M for Mary, L for Larry, O. So that's Stromlo, S for sugar, T, R, O, M for Mary, L, O, Mount Stromlo Observatory um, in uh, Canberra. And it'll come up with pictures, hosts of pictures. And that's where I worked. And uh, up came an image just a moment ago of a space-like building. Really, it's hard to believe that that building is actually on Earth, is it not? It almost just looks so much so spacey. What did you use the word? Magic. Uh, it looks really magical. I encourage everyone just to look up Mount Stromlo Observatory. It's amazing. Yes. So there we go, the Mount Stromlo Observatory. And I was their guest for a good many weeks, almost a couple of months. And... Uh, it was just so awesome to work in this uh, environment which has been described uh, by Duncan, who's doing the audio today, as um, magical. And I think that's how I felt every step of the day. Um, is It felt to me as if one's treading on the holy ground. Well, why the holy ground? Because using those telescopes, gazing upward. I can even see the yellow building to the left, Duncan, where I walked every single day to my office. So what was I actually doing at this uh, observatory? First of all, let me just give you some history of the observatory. It um, It's one of the earliest developments in the Canberra district of Australia, the ACT area. And it was established in 1924. But the interesting thing is it wasn't established to study the stars. It was actually first established to study the sun. And uh, its name was first the Commonwealth Solar Observatory. So in other words, but if you look very neat at, if you Google Mount Stromlo Observatory and you see the images, you'll see the 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 the, the um, beautiful space-like engineering buildings and the domes. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about those domes and a little bit about their history. There are no longer any operative telescopes at the specific observatory. Everything is global streaming. So what happened was is that a great fire, the Canberra bushfires, in 2003 uh, destroyed the telescopes at this observatory. Uh, that, of course, was a momental loss, is that we lost all these telescopes at the specific observatory but we now have all these other telescopes nine hours up north near the town of Coonabarabran. And so those telescopes have remained intact, untouched by fires, although they were almost touched by fires. Certainly the accommodation quarters were touched by fires just a few years ago. And that's one of the things about living in Australia. People have asked me uh, since I've got back, you know, what was it like? being in Australia for so long, in a sense. Well, many thoughts. The first thing is there was no uh, load shedding, and that I enjoyed amazingly, is that there was never a night I'd come home and say to myself, well, tonight I simply can't chill 
uh, you know, or cook a meal because here I am uh, without electricity. Um, the interesting thing was is that I asked many people in Australia what would happen in Australia if there was load shedding, and they said to me the relevant department would immediately be fired or the government would immediately be fired, and that was quite a spine-chilling thought is that the minister responsible for this in Australia would actually lose his seat. He'd be fired on the spot. So that certainly was quite a riveting lesson. Uh, people couldn't quite believe when I told them that, you know, there are build-ups of di- like two hours to travel from Monte Cassino to Northcliffe, a mere distance of t- 18 k's or 22 k's. People could in Australia, they could not believe that I would sit or my wife, my beloved wife Liz, would sit in a car for two hours to cover a distance of 20 k's. It's unheard of in at the Mount Stromlo Observatory area. It's absolutely unheard of. But not to politics, back to astronomy. There I was each day in my office and, you know, working alongside and with my dear and beloved friend, Professor Kenneth Freeman. Now, what, what is his claim to, fra- to fame? He is essentially uh, the father of dark matter. And it turns out that a vast percentage of our universe cannot ever be studied with the naked eye or with the um, sophisticated telescopes. Uh, a, va- a huge majority of our cosmos is dark and is as unseen. There's matter out there, which we call dark matter, but no scientist yet knows what that dark matter is. How do we know the matter's there? Well, we can observe its effects. For example, if you've got a black hole in space, we can't see the black hole, but we can observe the effects of the black hole. We can observe the black hole sucking in gas from its environs, and that's exactly the same with dark matter. We can't see dark matter, but we can certainly read about dark matter. And so I would urge Rebecca Stead, whom I met in Cape Town, who just adores reading, I would urge Rebecca Stead, whom I met just a day ago or so, two days ago, to uh, read about dark matter, enigmatic dark matter. I think it's awesome, you know, Duncan, to think that there's so much out there which is mysterious, which is unseen. And you used the word magical, and that's what it was to me, working at the Mount Stromlo Observatory. And I've been a guest there many, many times over many, many years. Um, it's almost like a second home to me. But it is magical. Why? Because one is working with some of the greatest astronomers alive, one can go to the most awesome seminars given by these astronomers, and somehow one is living at the cutting edge of one's dreams. What are one's dreams? Well, my specific dream is to study the cosmos. But then I also had the privilege of being invited to speak at Emmanuel College, Now, Emmanuel College is up on the Gold Coast in Australia. So that, Duncan, is the home of the famous beaches. If you want to surf, you go to the Gold Coast. I mean, this is the place to chill. This is the place just to hang out. And uh, I was invited to speak in a huge theater called the Emmanuel Theater uh, on the Gold Coast. 
And uh, they wanted to see some of the latest slides, some of the latest images, which we as astronomers have secured. And so a very dear friend of mine, Gordon Johnson, uh, a very dear friend, Gordon, had organized for me to speak once to the public and once to uh, school children in the area. And uh, it must be remembered that I have a huge uh, school outreach program for historically disadvantaged children here in South Africa, which is um, really sponsored by Standard Bank, uh, helping us to look forward. And it's an awesome privilege to travel around the world with their backing in the sense of reaching uh, school learners. Uh, Aber has now replied, you had it perfect at the end, Prof. Well, that's just awesome, Aber. I just see an awesome image of you. And, you know, when I look at your image, Aber, I see a man and you are made of cosmic stardust. And I just think that is just so lovely. Pinch yourself. Ah, and here comes up a nice big image of uh, Aber, and uh, he's holding a glass. I'm not sure. You can tell me what you're holding there, Aber. I can see it is of something. It could be champagne. It could be wine. What else could it be, Duncan? Do we know? It couldn't be we, could it, Professor? <laughs> it could, you know. <laughs> you know, having been away for so long, uh, I suppose anything is possible. If statues are in the poo, yeah. we could be drinking we as well. But I love your smile. I love the look in your eyes. You're obviously a futurist, Aber. You're looking towards the future. You want to stay at the cutting edge. You want to look up. You want to be at the cutting edge. And I just salute you, whatever you're holding. Uh, in your hand. But back to uh, book writing and to sponsorships. It was an incredible experience every day to sit and think. Now, I'd like to ask all my listeners on this program this question. When last have you seen The Thinker? So we, Duncan's going to just Google it now. It's called The Thinker. So Wrong it's the... And then Thinker by Rodin. That's right. R-O-D-I-N. And, you know, let's just ponder the awesomeness of the Thinker. So we're Googling it right now so that I've got it in front of me. And up it's going to come. And there it comes. And so there's the Thinker. And it's right in front of me. And so what do I see? I see. What do you see, Duncan? I see something that I don't see very often, Professor. Just yes. a man on a rock with his hand on his chin facing down. And thinking. Now, tell me something, Duncan. When last have you ever seen somebody sitting on a rock, alone, pondering, in silence, thinking? Has Have you ever seen that, Duncan? Not unless they dragged up or drunk off something, Professor. Yes. Mm. And I think that is the incredible thought is that uh, I asked uh, people in Cape Town when last they've seen this. And somebody thought I was asking the question, when last have you seen a naked man? I wasn't actually asking that. I was asking... (laughs) <laughs> I was asking the question, when is, and Google this, Google The Thinker by Rodin, R-O-D-I-N. And there is a man, and he's on a rock, and he's thinking. And he's obviously getting somewhere because he's thinking. 
And that's one of the joys which struck me so about the children of Gareth and Wendy Stead is that at whatever restaurant they took me to, uh, their children took books with them and they sat there, Duncan. It was incredible to watch. When last have you been to a restaurant, Duncan, and seen a child reading a book? I, I can't even remember. I, I yeah. know. Mm. It is extraordinary, isn't it? And the point really is, is that that to me is one path of richly savoring the awesomeness of looking up is that I would like to challenge everyone to the following thought. Well, the following thought is that if you want to really look up, you must spend some time in silence thinking. Um, I'm not saying you have to do it every day. I'm not saying you have to look like a dodo. But <laughs> if it is true that we've never seen a person thinking, uh, say, sitting on a rock just thinking for the last year or two and tell me on wechat remember you listening to professor david block you reach me on wechat id cliff central tell me on wechat when last have you someone seen someone thinking in silence sitting on a chair or sitting on a rock when last have you observed someone doing this feel free to call me i'd love to read your thoughts or do you think i'm an extraterrestrial et from another planet telling people on earth to think but it's a great point the one i'm raising is that professor freeman thinks and all the astronomers at mount stromlo observatory are generally working in silence and they thinking and i think that's what makes the mount stromlo observatory such a great place to visit and as i say i've been there just multitudes of times already is that you can sit in silence duncan and you can think. So Aber has just answered the question. He's holding champagne. He says, for sure, Prof, not pee, Duncan. Okay, so um, this is greatly a relief to know that you're not holding poo or pee. I see that a lot of words with pee are in the news in South Africa. If it's not pee, then it's poo. But uh, I'm glad to see you are rejoicing with a little glass of champagne. That also reminds me, just as a little side story, of, uh, you know, the cost of champagne in Australia. And, uh, you know, Duncan, a typical steak in Australia would cost about $40. That's 400 rand. So you three people... They each order a steak. They say, don't worry, don't think in rands, think in dollars. So it's 40 <laughs> times three, so it's $120, doesn't sound a lot. But then I have to, then the standard bank beeps, and my phone beeps, and it says, you now, a hundred, 1,200 rand in the red in your credit card. And I look at them and I say, and that's without the champagne. So, <laughs> so one has to realize that if you're taking out a party of two to eat, it's going to cost you the best part of 1,500 to 2,000 rand, $150 to $200 to take out people, three people to eat. How would that make you feel, Duncan? I'd probably bake at home, Professor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think for South Africans, you know, to travel and eat and live in Australia, unless you're really earning in dollars, the costs are absolutely um, phenomenal. They are almost, uh, almost unbearably high. But back to the central theme. Astronomer, astronomers, astronomy, gazing up at the night sky, dark matter, dark energy. I was invited to give a lecture. 
And so the people started, you know, flocking into the lecture. But then, Duncan, I noted that a Nobel Prize winner was in the audience. And I felt very humbled at this because here I am, born in Mohali City, in Krugersdorp. You know, what have I got to say, truly, what have I got to say to a Nobel Prize winner? I mean, what do I have to say, for example, to a, a man who has actually won the Nobel Prize? And yet, without um, going into any details, this man came up, uh, sorry, emailed me afterwards and uh, and said to me, that is one of the greatest talks I've ever heard, one of the greatest lectures I've ever heard. And so it just reminded me of the preciousness, the jewels we have on this earth who are encouraged somewhat to some degree by listening to me, David, sharing a mere mortal guy born in Krugersdorp. Someone's uh, calling me, and it is Gareth from Cape Town. Gareth, hi. Professor Block. Yes, this is your friend Gareth from Cape Town. How are you? Oh, well, I'm looking up. How are you? You are the yes. Gareth who completed the 56K ultra marathon. I salute you and I salute you globally for doing this. How are you today? Thanks, Professor. I'm actually, I'm not doing too great. I'm restraining my cough like you say they do in the Pavarotti. Oh, good. So you will not cough. You promise me you will not cough on air. Yes. I will do my best, but... The question I have, well, firstly, to answer your previous question. Yes. The thinker, when we saw that, was actually um, in Night at the Museum, that movie that had a trilogy. Um, and yes. And recognized that thinker statue immediately because of the, the movie, funny enough. And that was called um, The Night. The Night at the Museum. Oh, and yes, yes. So that you've seen the movie. And, te- and and so, what did your children have to say about this? Did they feel challenged? Had they Did they feel that perhaps we should be thinking more? Although, as I've said earlier, I salute your children for re- taking books to restaurants. But did it, did it ring home a central note of encouragement to think? Um, well, not directly. I think they just thought the movie was really cool and really funny. Yes. Uh, but what I enjoyed is that it took, statues and pieces of history and made it real to them so they remembered it. So yes. when they saw that image that you showed us ab- about the thinker immediately, they recognized it. So that was from Night at the Museum. I mean, Wonderful. I to actually, Wonderful. It's a famous statue by a famous artist. But yes. The movie did give it attention. So yes. I thought that was quite amusing. Well, I think that, you know, I remember you taking something like a 100,000 strides in your great marathon of 6 hours and 54 minutes. And, you know, each stride, I'd, I, I would, you know, if I could just encourage everyone, 100,000 people, say, if they were listening to my voice and everyone taking one stride of one minute of thinking in silence, that could revolutionize our world. It could revolutionize us. Did not even the Apostle Paul say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind? For sure. Professor, my question I have for you, yes. if, you if there's time to, yes. to address it, yes. the question of intelligence in design. Yes. I so enjoyed your presentation, The Universe, Accident or Design. Thank you. And I don't know if you've seen the um, the uh, documentary that Ben Stein put together a few years ago in yes. the States called yes. um, Expelled. Expelled, I did. Absolutely. Allowed. 
quite yes. controversial because a lot of people saw it as just Christian propaganda. Yes. But he did also interview people like Richard Dawkins and many other famous yes. scientists. That yes. Really tried to explore this question of is there intelligence in, in, in the cosmos, in the right. universe. So right. maybe you'd just like to talk I about that. I would. Very, absolutely. And thank you so much, Gareth, for asking about that. I do see, of course, as I mentioned and shared at His People in One City, I see a universe of incredible uh, design, of incredible order. I do not see a universe which is purposelessness. Um, what's very interesting is that in Expelled, um, the scientist who proclaimed that the universe was designed was expelled, in quotes, unquote, he was expelled, wasn't he? He was, you know, made to be not part of the community. And whenever you stick your neck out and speak and address questions such as design and God, you can so often be expelled. And uh, it's a theme I want to pick up, in fact, next week, Gareth, with you. Um, one more question we have from Andrew in Belito. Andrew. Hi, how are you? Yes, I'm well in yourself. Are you chilling? Yeah, chilling. Are, are you looking up? Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you ask me a question, Andrew? How lovely okay. to have you sharing from Belito. Thanks. Um, so, so Prof, uh, my question really is about your, your earlier discussion regarding technology and the, the way that it enables you to study the stars from wherever, really. Yes, and then yes. Tying that together with the the thought of the thinker, yes. and just, just to say, do you not think that as much as technology has brought advantages in, into our lives, it also has perhaps limited our mm. capacity as humans to stop and pause and take a moment to think? You know, you look around and everybody's glued to their smartphones. Yes. Um, how can we, how can we uh, make a moment in our lives for, for time to think um, or in this world? Yes. Yes. Now, absolutely so. I think that, um, to answer your question, Andy, technology has to be one's slave, not one's master. I think that's the great problem, Andy, is that today there are so many people and technology is their master. It almost brushes their teeth for them. It almost yeah. makes them think, doesn't it? It almost uh, poos for them in a real sense. Um, uh, what I'm suggesting is to move into a different phase space of Rodam, um, the night at the museum, as we've heard earlier, to think, to actually let technology do it for you. But we have to be in the cockpit in control. Absolutely. Would you agree, Andy? Yes, yeah, and no, I like that view. Um, I think that, you uh, know, with technology, with the technology I've described from Australia, it's leading us, it's guiding us, it's taking us to the new cutting edge, but technology must always keep its place. It must be our slave. It must never, never, never be our master. This is yeah. Professor David Block thanking you for all your myriads of questions of, and encouragement. It is so good to be back home. Tune in next week. Ask your questions next week. Always, always look up. And finally, Jerome, he says, we love you, Prof. You motivate and inspire us. Well, Jerome, what can I say? But God bless you richly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Signing out, David Block. Cliffcentral.com. <laughs>